Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. We are beginning a study this week that will lead us through Easter Sunday. The study will be out of the New Testament Gospel according to Mark. The series is called Four World-Changing Days, referring to the last four days of Passion Week in the life of Jesus, from the Jewish Passover meal through Resurrection Sunday. Let's begin with a short introduction to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is believed to be the first gospel account written. It's believed to date back to the mid-60s A.D., about 30 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The author does not reveal himself in the gospel account itself. The earliest claim that this gospel was written by Mark came from a man named Papias. Papias lived around 60 A.D. to 130 A.D., he did not say which Mark wrote the book, but later Christians assumed it was John Mark, who, according to Acts chapter 12, verse 25, was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Papias said that Mark never knew Jesus, but wrote the gospel based on the testimony of Peter while Peter was teaching in Rome. The first Christians to read the gospel of Mark were likely a group of believers who gathered discreetly in the home of a citizen of Rome. Of the 16 chapters in Mark, the first eight are devoted to the first 33 years of Jesus' life. The second half, again, eight chapters, are devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. This tells us a lot about Mark's reason for writing. Mark did not write a typical biography about the life of Jesus. There was something very important for us to understand about the final days and events of Jesus' life that required detailed attention. Jesus had entered Jerusalem in what has become known as Passion Week. The triumphal entry recorded in Mark 11 verses 11 to 11, uh, 1 to 11, followed by the clearing of the temple in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 17, brought immediate angst to the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, Mark recorded in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 18, that Jesus' actions and words led the chief priests and teachers of the law to conspire a way to kill Jesus. All of these events occurred while the festival of unleavened bread and the celebration of the Passover meal approached. Passover is a celebration of Israel's liberation from Egyptian slavery. The story is found in Exodus chapter 12. In ancient times, Jewish pilgrims crowded the city of Jerusalem, 
during Passover celebrations, and nationalistic fervor ran high, making it fertile ground for messianic movements. Roman authorities were always on the lookout for potential uprisings against the Roman domination. Of course, many Jews were anticipating the Messiah would come to deliver the Jewish people from Rome. Even some of Jesus' disciples understood the kingdom as an earthly kingdom of power. So, Jesus' determination to go to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration brought concern to his disciples. It was quite the risk, considering Jesus' awareness of some who were scheming for his arrest and his execution. With that background, let's read from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of, of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out on the Mount of Olives. Jewish people have celebrated the Passover meal since the time of Moses, approximately 3,400 years ago. Unleavened bread was eaten during Passover as a commemoration of Israel's hasty departure from Egypt, where there wasn't enough time for the yeast to leaven the dough for bread. During the time of King Solomon and the building of the temple in Jerusalem, Jews began to teach that the Passover lambs for individual homes to be had to be slaughtered in the temple in Jerusalem. So Jews began to make yearly journeys to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. In Mark chapter 14, verse 12, 
the disciples asked Jesus where they needed to go in Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover meal. Interestingly, if you read this verse in the New American Standard Bible, you might notice that the word lamb is italicized. The reason lamb is in italics is that it is not in the original Greek text. The original Greek simply says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover was being sacrificed. It doesn't say when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed. In this passage of Jesus' Last Supper, there is no mention of a lamb being eaten, which would have been the main course of a traditional Jewish celebration of the Passover meal. Mark seems to intentionally leave out the presence of a cooked lamb. Instead, implied is the reality that the one true lamb of God, Jesus, was with them that night. As we shall soon see, a new meaning about the special supper would be introduced where Jesus would, in fact, become the meal. We will come back to that very soon. Jesus' instruction for the Passover, uh, for the preparation of the Passover meal, reflected careful and thoughtful planning. With thousands of pilgrims in the city for the festival, guest rooms in homes or inns would have been hard to find. Also, since Jesus expected opposition and violence against him in Jerusalem, he had to find a discreet way of observing the Passover with his disciples without attracting public notice. His instructions suggest that Jesus had made secret arrangements sometime earlier. He sent two of his disciples into the city. He said, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Verse 13. A man carrying a water jar would have been noticeable because women at that time usually carried the water jars. Also note that the man with the jar would find them, not the other way around. Arriving in the city, Jesus' two disciples found things just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover as he had commanded them. On the evening of Passover, Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples. The sharing of food had more significance for Jews than merely a social gathering. Covenants were typically sealed with a meal, like the covenant formed between Abimelech and Isaac, as one example, in Genesis chapter 26, verses 26 to 31. The act of reclining at the table in Mark chapter 14, verse 17, was meant as a sign of freedom. Only those who were free and not working during the meal could relax by reclining at the table. This physical position of reclining at the table is fitting since Passover was a celebration of freedom. During the meal, Jesus made a shocking announcement. The disciples had come to Jerusalem with Jesus, expecting that Jesus would bring liberation for the Jewish people from Roman, dom from Roman domination. But in verse 18, Jesus declared, One of you is going to betray me. One of the twelve who was sharing the Passover meal with Jesus was going to betray him. To betray the one who had shared his bread was a grievous offense, and the disciples were saddened and alarmed. It is possible that Jesus had Psalm 49, 41 verse 9 on his mind 
when he spoke to his disciples about this betrayal. Psalm 41 verse 9 says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. Mark recorded that each one of Jesus' disciples, all 12, affirmed absolute allegiance to Jesus. Surely you don't mean me, said each one, according to verse 19, including Judas, who had already been planning the details of the betrayal. Throughout the four Gospels, Jesus' favorite name for himself was Son of Man. He uses this name in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, to connect himself with the one who suffers unjustly for righteousness. The concept of a suffering Messiah did not match any of the Jewish expectations, and yet Jesus affir affirmed that his suffering was foretold in Scripture. Jesus reassured his disciples that his betrayal would not impede God's plan, but would actually be used to accomplish God's salvific purposes. In the Passover meal, bread is broken and wine is consumed as part essential parts of the Jewish people's celebration of God's deliverance of them from Egypt. This meal also symbolizes God's covenant with the Israelites as his favored people. As the meal proceeded, Verse 22 says, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Let's be sure to see some very meaningful things in this part of Jesus' Last Supper. First, I find it interesting that the same cadence of language, that is, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, are almost identical words to the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, verse 41. Somehow, this action at the Last Supper would continue to feed all people who put their trust in Jesus. Second, there was no mention of the main course of the meal, the roasted lamb. Instead, Jesus gave broken bread to the gathered community while saying, Take it, this is my body. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. This was a clear departure from the normal ritual of Passover, giving new meaning to the meal. Jesus explicitly connected the elements of this meal to his imminent suffering and death, as well as the new covenant he was establishing with them. Third, consider the fact that Jesus gave thanks for the broken bread. Jesus identified himself in a profound way with the broken bread, and he gave thanks for it. In the same way, Jesus gave the cup of wine, one of four cups that were served as part of the Passover ceremony. Once again, he departed from the customary ritual. Jesus told his disciples that this cup was his blood of the covenant poured out for many, verse 24. The original offensiveness of Holy Communion should not be forgotten here. To the disciples, the idea of drinking human blood and eating flesh would likely have sounded like cannibalism. We must never forget the radical nature of what Jesus was saying and doing that night before his violent death the next day at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman authorities. Jesus was inviting his disciples and us, to enter into a new kind of covenantal love and self-giving 
for the sake of God and for the sake of others. With great confidence, Jesus declared that he would drink the fruit of the vine again on that day when he would drink it new in the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 14, verse 25. Think about the boldness of that declaration. In the face of seeming defeat, disgrace, and death, something new was about to happen. Death would not have the final word. Jesus would drink of the vine again. Jesus had said that new wine requires new wineskins. Mark chapter 2, verse 22. The Passover was a precious heritage that Jesus embraced and practiced while he was with his disciples before the cross. But now there was something new. In Jewish tradition, the Passover celebration ended with singing the Hillel Psalms. Those are Psalm chapter 113 through chapter 118. They are called the Hillel Psalms because they praise God's saving power that brought about Israel's liberation from Egypt. Hillel is a Hebrew word for praise. The longer word, hallelujah, means praise the Lord and is the first line of these psalms. We can imagine these psalms having special meaning for Jesus as he made his way to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. Can you imagine Jesus saying these words on that Passover night? Psalm 116, as an example, verses 3 through 4 says, The cords of death entangle me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overwhelmed by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Or Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Though Jesus was the eternal son of God, he experienced all the agonies of the dark night of the soul for you and for me. Through it all, he remained faithful so that the new covenant might be sealed with his broken body and his shed blood. As we begin our journey toward Passion Week, let us be watchful for the living Christ alive and around us. May we notice what he's doing. May we listen for his voice calling us to the heart of the Father. May we take, give thanks, fully receive, and then give to others that precious life that comes with knowing Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.